So as I move into, uh, as, I'm, <laughs> as I move into the message, which, which I kind of called Partnering with God, and then I subtitled it, Don't Be a Pouting Prophet. Um, <laughs> I want to ask you and challenge you about something. And that something is, do you regard the stories that you read in the Old Testament as literal truth. Okay, I've got a couple of yeses. That's the answer I was looking for. When you read an outrageous story in the Old Testament, like the parting of the Red Sea or God's presence on Mount Sinai, those things, you regard them as literal truth. What about Jonah three days in a whale or a great fish? Do you regard that as literal truth? Because, see, there's a, uh, the more that you strip the miraculous out of the Word of God, the less uh, power you attribute to the God whom you serve. And uh, I was, God took me to an aspect of the book of Jonah over the last few days, and um, I realized that God wanted to reinforce something to us before I launch into the story. I want you to set your heart in a literal interpretation of the story of Jonah because the story of Jonah is literally what historically happened. And uh, if you want proof of that, would you believe the words of Jesus? If Jesus gave you a testimony about what happened with Jonah, would you believe Jesus? Listen to this, Matthew 12, 38 to 41. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, Nineveh is the city that Jonah was called to prophesy to, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. This is Jesus unequivocally saying that what happened with Jonah literally happened. It's not just some sort of parable, even though Jesus spoke in parables. And even though there are things that are given as examples that are spiritual examples, this is something that physically occurred at a particular point in Israel's history and it has ramifications for you and I. And every time that I read the story of Jonah, God shows me something different. And that something different is what I want to share with you today. In Jonah, and uh, so when we plunge into the story of Jonah, I'm going to take us straight into the middle of it. And I'm going to take us to Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. And in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, this is Jonah speaking. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And it took me a little while, but I realized as I read those words, because I was reading through the story of Jonah, and I got there, and it's like God put a highlighter on that verse in my heart. And I knew he was drawing my attention to something. 
And what strikes me about this verse is where it sits in the story of Jonah. It is part of Jonah's confession to God as he sits in the belly of a giant fish and cries out for deliverance. Can you imagine three days and three nights, however many hundreds of fathoms under the water, in the belly of a great fish because of your disobedience to God's call upon your life? Can you imagine the darkness that didn't just surround him in the physical, but the darkness that he was experiencing in his dark night of the soul. Have you ever been through a dark night of the soul? Give me a wave if you've been through a dark night of the soul. <laughs> yes. yeah, give me another wave if God brought you through the dark night of the soul. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and so... And see, Jonah is speaking of himself here. This is part of his confession to God. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And the question arose in my heart, why is he there? What is the nature of his idolatry that he should find himself in such a predicament? And so let me give you a little bit of historical background so you know where we are in the Bible when this story occurs. Jonah was a prophet. He was in the office of the prophet and he was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. And if you ever want to read brutal, confronting prophecy against God's own people, just read Amos or Hosea. They are so confrontational because God's mercy triumphs over judgment. But if Israel did not repent, judgment had to come. And so um, he was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. And Amos and Hosea and Jonah prophesied just after Elisha. And Jonah served under Jeroboam II, the king of Israel. So Israel and Judah were the two separate kingdoms of Israel. Israel, the larger nor uh, northern kingdom. And uh, under Jeroboam II, um, Israel had expanded its borders, it had incredible wealth, it was walking in prosperity. But when you examine the context of that time, you'll see that Israel had also stepped into a great degree of injustice. They were walking in greed. They neglected and persecuted the poor among them, and their religion was just formalistic. It had nothing to do with the presence of God, just completing the rituals that they had to do to uh, what they thought uh, would be pleasing to God. So Jonah was a prophet within this northern kingdom of Israel and probably what's quite, not quite so well known about his story is that he was more than likely a very famous and very highly respected figure in the northern kingdom of Israel. And I say that because in 2 Kings 14.25, there is a reference to the ministry of Jonah that I didn't even know was there until I was really started reaching into this subject. And in 2 Kings 14.25, when 2 Kings talks about the leadership of Jeroboam II, the king that um, Jonah served under, 
It says of Jeroboam that he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. This is a clear um, identification of the same Jonah that ended up in the belly of the fish as a great northern kingdom prophet who God used to expand their territory and bring them into great wealth. So he was highly respected. He was possibly quite wealthy. We don't know all the circumstances of his life, but we do discover right from the beginning of the book of Jonah that he had developed a problem. So when we launch into the story, we see that something was not right in his heart. In Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3, this is the very beginning of the book of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, the opposite direction. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He was fleeing the presence of God. Is that what a prophet is supposed to do? Isn't a prophet supposed to be running after the presence of God, embracing the word of the Lord, receiving it? See, this man is a prophet called by God. He is one who knows, he knows God's voice. He knows in this moment that God is speaking to him. And still more, he knows God's character. But when presented with an uncomfortable challenge that goes against what he would like to do, he runs the other way. Ever done that? Yes, no, yes, no, maybe. Thank you for that conviction, Lord. <laughs> See, you need to understand the context of what's going on here. At this time, Nineveh was the capital, or pretty much the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was the mega city of its day, the biggest city on the face of the earth. And its history was one of unrelenting cruelty and opposition toward Israel. This was an empire that persecuted God's people. And as so often happens in the Bible, the problem here would seem to be the vessel who God chose. Have you ever noticed that about the heroes of the Bible? That when you actually examine them up close, they're not quite so heroic as we would like them to be. In fact, many of them are what we would deem to be fatally flawed. How many of us would uh, not just step into adultery, but when the, when the adultery was uncovered, plot for the murder of the woman who we have been committing adultery with so that we can get away with our sin. And yet that is David from whom the lineage extended down to Jesus. Look at Moses who is also a murderer. Look at any of the, these incredible heroes 
of the Bible and you will find that they were fatally flawed and yet God used them anyway. So what I'd suggest to you this morning is that you are without excuse. (laughs) You are not disqualified by your failures or by your perceived merit. (laughs) See, just like every other Israelite, Jonah grew up with a hatred towards Nineveh and out of his hatred toward that city, because every Israelite knew how cruel and how wicked the Ninevites were, out of his hatred toward that city, Jonah refused his commission. He thought he could escape the commission of God by fleeing in the opposite direction. I'll get another show of hands. Who here has ever fled from the presence of the Lord? I tried it for 21 years. It didn't work out well for me until I surrendered to the Lord and he began to release his purpose in my life. And it says that he was actually fleeing the presence of God. He did not want to hear what God had to say. But he... um, here, I've, I kind of felt God pausing me again. Because see, when we read these stories, how many, how many people here, I keep asking for a show of hands, but I'll keep doing it anyway. How many people here have read the story or heard the story of Jonah several times? Right? So sometimes we begin to read a story like this because Jonah's only three or four chapters long. It's not very long. Sometimes we bring into the story our preconception. Oh, yeah, I know this story. Sometimes our preconception uh, prevents us from seeing what God wants to learn, wants us to learn. And, um, you know, for many of us, the first time we heard the story of Jonah would have been in Sunday school. I had Sylvia share um, a funny story with me a couple of years ago when she was talking about how biblically illiterate some of our children were when they stepped into Sunday school because it wouldn't matter what question they were asked they always had the same answer so you know she'd go okay now who parted the red sea oh jesus (laughs) 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 uh, and just about any any uh any question she asked of the sunday school the answer was the same who is who is in the belly of the of the whale oh jesus (laughs) 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 <laughs> so we have these preconceptions and God wants us to, to look a little deeper. And I'm just going to his commission once more where it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, um, let me make a point here that when you read Hosea and Amos, for instance, who are contemporaries of Jonah, you will see that when God pronounces judgment against Israel's enemies, um, it can be ferocious in the extreme, complete wiping out of cities. God's judgment would fall upon a city and that was it. That was the end of the story. But here he's being called to prophesy against one of Israel's enemies 
but it says that Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And that, uh, that raises within me this question, why? Why did he run? We know that Jonah hated Nineveh. We know this. I'm not just making this up. Later on in the story, you'll see he was very unhappy that God would intervene in Nineveh's situation. We know that Jonah hated Nineveh and did not want his commission, but why did he not want the commission? Why would he want to refuse the request? Here was his great opportunity to pronounce God's judgment on Israel's sworn enemies. He could return a hero once again to Israel with a story of how God destroyed Nineveh off the back of his prophetic word. On the surface, it would seem that this, is, that this decision to run from the presence of the Lord and refuse a commission doesn't make sense. The problem here I would suggest to you for Jonah is that Jonah knew God. What do I mean by that? He knew God to be compassionate and willing to forgive even the most hardened, wicked sinner. And he knew that if he prophesied as God called him to prophesy, the outcome would not be according to Jonah's prejudice and hatred, but according to God's mercy. How do we know this? How do we know how well Jonah knew God? You're going to see it in a moment, <clears throat> in the midst of Jonah's moment of crisis. And we'll return to this in a minute, but I want to just set the scene a little bit for him ending up all those fathoms down in the belly of a great fish. So Jonah goes to Joppa and he gets on a boat that's manned by pagan sailors and a huge storm blows up and the sailors recognize that this is something supernatural and so they practice thing, this thing called casting lots, kind of like throwing dice or something to discover that Jonah is responsible because you see in those cultures, uh, when a huge storm would come up, especially out of nowhere, they would, uh, they would lay the blame for that storm at the feet of a god. And so they recognized the supernatural aspect of this storm and they wanted to know who's done something wrong to get this god so angry that we're in danger of drowning. And so they cast lots, they discover Jonah is responsible and at least Jonah has enough sense of honesty to say, uh, this is all my fault, and if you want to get out of this alive, you need to throw me overboard. <laughs> so there was some good character there. At least he didn't <clears throat> deny it. So uh, at Jonah's own request, they threw him over. And so they were saved. But God had other ideas about Jonah and he had already made a way. Jonah was swallowed whole by a great fish and survived three days and nights in the fish while God dealt with him. <laughs> Have you ever been dealt with by God? Come on, give me a show of hands. 
You haven't lived until you've been dealt with by God. In fact, your abundant life is dependent upon having been dealt with by God. Because God has a way of dealing with us where the things that allowed us to be like a pouting prophet, refusing uh, the requests of God in different areas of our life. God has a way of coming and dealing with those issues with a sense of finality so that we can move from one level of glory to the next. And he doesn't... Uh, he, he, he loves us exactly as we are right now. You're never going to be more loved by God than you are right now. I was never more loved by God than I was when I was, when I was in the midst of the most wicked sin imaginable. He still loved me. He still cared for me. He still had a plan for me. But he loves me too much to leave me the way I am. Do you understand it? This is the reason for the trials and the persecutions and the things that we go through, the suffering that we go through, because there's this refiner's fire that I preached half for half of 2020. I was preaching refiner's fire because that's what God has been doing. There is a huge sifting going on in the church right now. I was appalled to read of this, uh, this sex scandal of one of the most anointed, most respected uh, Christian apologists of all time. And I was reading this and I was going, God, when are we going to be separated to you to the extent that we will stop stirring around the mud and the pigsty that we allowed ourselves to get dragged into? When is the church going to be that pure, white, spotless bride that Jesus is coming back for? Is there a better time than now? You see, Jonah gets dealt with for three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. Well, and then we come to this passage of Scripture that is so glorious from Jonah. And it's Jonah's repentant confession. And there's something extraordinary about the nature of his confession because it is a revelation of the depth of relationship that, that Jonah has had with God. This is a man who knew God. You know, you can run to the furthest ends of the earth, but if you've ever had relationship with God, you continue to know him. And when you run and you sin and you do this and you do the other, there's always something within you saying, this is not the way, John. Not the way. Turn around. Go this way. I have something better for you. It's there and it will pull you back from the deepest sin of your life. It takes great determination to uh, refuse the voice of the Lord. And so here he is in the belly of the fish and in his crisis. And this is what he says when he comes to the end of himself. Jonah 2 verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet... I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. This is, this is the depths of despair. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. What's the fruit of this? The next verse, verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. Whoo! I want to ask you a question. Does anything of that prayer ring a bell with you? You know why it rings a bell with you? One of the reasons? Because most of it is actually comprised of core elements from the Psalms of David. In fact, if you go through this prayer that Jonah made in the depths of despair with no scripture to read and no light to, to see anything by, if you go through it line by line, you will find quotes from Psalm 120, Psalm 65, Psalm 88, Psalm 42, Psalm 31, Psalm 5, Psalm 69, Psalm 16, Psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 50, and Psalm 3. David knew, uh, Jonah knew God because he knew the word. He knew the living and active word of God. He knew God's character. He knew his personality. He knew his mercy triumphed over judgment. In the most dire situation of Jonah's life, he brings to mind the word of God. I would suggest to you that the spirit quickened to him out of everything that he had learned. Started reminding him of the goodness of God. Started reminding him of the faithfulness of God. And out of this, he composes, um, out of his own heart, he, he composes this prayer of repentance, whether knowingly or unknowingly, he's actually drawing together from all the wisdom of David who knew what it was like to forsake this covenant with God and yet have it restored. For somebody who was a vile murderer to come before God and say, yet I know that you are faithful. And so Jonah didn't just draw on his own personal relationship and his recognition of the voice of the Lord. He knew what God had done in the past. He he knew that he would do it again. He knew these verses intimately. They had become part of who he was. The word of God must be part of who we are. So that when we come to a moment of crisis, we don't respond out of our, out of our own pouty little attitude, but we respond with some maturity, some humility, some repentance so that God can come and move. See, 
In Jonah 2.8, the one that, that sparked all this for me, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. What is the nature of Jonah's idolatry revealed here? When you take your eyes off God, you end up in idolatry because you end up stuck in your own limited view of the world. You get stuck in your own ideas. You get stuck in the influence of the world. You get stuck in the influence of the flesh. You get stuck in the influence of the devil. Jonah took his eyes off God and allowed his own view to rule his decisions, and that's idolatry, and it doesn't work. As Christians, we must have eternity in view. And when you have eternity in view, that abundant life becomes yours. We must have grace, mercy, and forgiveness in view, God's ways are higher than ours. Jonah had learned a hard lesson. You can't run from God's call. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? You can't run from God's call. He chose you specifically for the purpose he had in mind for you. For those of you who are weary, for those of you, uh, for those of you who found that 2020 just sapped your will, sapped your energy, sapped your commitment. I want to tell you that God is breathing fresh life over you this morning. You don't have to understand the twists and turns of the road that you are on, but you are responsible to keep walking it. Nobody else can walk it for you. I can stand with you, I can cheer you on, I can equip you, I can teach you, I can train you, I can minister to you, but I cannot put your foot in front of your other foot consistently day after day after day and walk that walk for you. And God may take you down to some very interesting places and take you down into deep depths, but he will have his way. When God calls you, he does not change his mind. And out of Jonah's repentance for his worthless regard for idolatry, as he puts it, he saw that he was actually forsaking God's mercy over his own life. God knew all about Jonah's attitude problem, just like he knows about yours and he knows about mine. God had actually been preparing Jonah for the greatest mission of his life, but it required a simple act of obedience from him. And if you've ever been in the pits of despair, if you've ever had that dark night of the soul, let me encourage you with what happened next in the story of Jonah. Because at the very end of Jonah's prayer, we see an extraordinary faith arising in Jonah's heart. How would you feel after three days and three nights in the belly of a fish without a glimmer even of light anywhere around you, knowing that you are there because of your disobedience to God. 
But in Jonah 2.9, he says this at the end of his prayer, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. What did he have to sacrifice? Nothing but himself. That's all God requires of us. We lay down our lives. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And when he says, I will pay what I have vowed, that's obedience to God. Salvation is of the Lord. He's in a storm in the belly of a giant fish. He's been there for three days. But as he has had time to contemplate God's word and now formulate his repentance, he makes this promise to God, I'm going to pay what I have vowed. I'm going to serve what I have been asked to do. It's up to God what happens out of that obedience it's just up to Jonah to obey, just like it is for us. He realizes that his life belongs to God and faith arises in his heart that God will bring him out of his situation just like he brings us out of ours. And in verse 10, we read it before, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I don't know how he got clean, but uh, <clears throat> it was messy. <laughs> Something fishy going on here. <laughs> There's just one piece of the puzzle left, the fruit of Jonah's obe obedience. So the fish vomits <laughs> Jonah out on the dry land. <laughs> I just it's the word of God, right? And it's just like he's probably like oh I'm oh, that's right. <laughs> I was pulling the seaweed wrapped around his head. He hasn't got a change of clothes. <laughs> and now he's going to walk into Nineveh. Jonah 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. How many times do we need it? Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, and every time I read one of these things, uh, whether it's from the Old Testament or the New Testament, I notice that uh, a lot of these preachers were men of few words. Jonah was a man of few words. He had one message, and that message was simply this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. That's his message. That's it. And so he walks through the city, and that's all he does. Stinking of fish, <laughs> filthy as they come, matted hair, bits of seaweed hanging off him, a less convincing preacher you would never find anywhere on the face of the earth, except that he carries the word of the Lord. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And look at the response. See, the response is born in heaven, out of our obedience. It's God who does it. 
You're not reliant on who you are, how you've been trained, where you've been, how much of the Bible you know, although knowing the Bible well is imperative for every Christian. It is dependent about, about, upon God to do what he wants to do through you. The outcomes are his responsibility. My responsibility is obedience. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what was the result? The people of Nineveh believed God in spite of the fishy dude walking through their city. Believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is one of the most fruitful ministries in all the word of God. And it's a guy covered in scales and gunk and seaweed and stinking after three days in the belly of a fish, proclaiming one sentence and God moves. He caused it to, uh, he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? I wonder what would happen to Australia and the pandemic as it has reached our shores if Scott Morrison were to do the same thing. I'm not criticizing him. I'm just asking a question. What if all our leaders were to repent in sackcloth and ashes and say, God, forgive us for the evil that we have perpetrated as a nation? Then it says it would be a miracle, and that's exactly the point. The miracle is up to God. The obedience is up to us. Verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. And that is the completion of what Jonah knew God was about right back at the beginning. But he was stuck in his own idolatry. He thought those guys in Nineveh, they deserved to, be, to have coals from heaven thrust down upon them. The fire and brimstone should fall. They should all be killed. Maybe some of Jonah's relatives uh, suffered or perished at the hands of the Ninevites. And he had this own idolatrous view of how God wanted to work in a situation. But he also knew God's faithfulness and his mercy and how his mercy triumphs over judgment. And yet finally, when he's brought to the end of himself and comes and does what he was first called to do, he knows God's mercy and it's poured out. What's our takeaway from this? Whatever God has called you to, he will never change his mind. You may as well give up now. You may think you're not worthy. You may think that there's something else that you would rather do. But God has not, does not, and will not change his mind. Thank you, Lord. 
as I was kind of finalizing this and God began to give me a prophetic word, um, I flicked open my iPad and my eyes fell upon this quote from John Wesley, the great revivalist, and this is in 1755, one of the greatest awakenings the world has ever seen, birthed from a man who attended a prayer meeting with some people from the Moravian movement and said, my heart was strangely warmed. And out of that came incredible revival. This is uh, what John Wesley says in this quote. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. Is that challenging to you? It's challenging to me. Can I get the, the worship team up, please? And so if you could lead us in Shekinah glory. And uh, I, was up in the, I was up in the middle of the night, as I am every single Sunday morning at about 2 or 3 in the morning, just waiting on the Lord. And uh, what I'm going to do next is in no way suggestive that the person or the, the people that I prophesy over are in any way the same boat as Jonah. I'm not trying to pin disobedience on anybody or, or running away from God or any of that sort of thing. But as I, um, as I waited on the Lord in the middle of the night, um, God began to speak to me about somebody in our congregation. I'm just going to ask John and Jen Tapia to come up for a minute. And uh, I just want just the guitar going. Just you play, Pete. And I just want you guys to stand here and face me. And uh, I want to get some of our, if I could get, I know we're kind of on the verge of not observing the distancing and all that, but it's particularly our ministry team. If you could just extend your hand. So I want you to stand beside him. You're not behind him. You're, you're alongside him. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I just felt the Lord say all these things to me about you. And uh, I felt the Lord was saying to you that confusion has swirled around you. And you have felt, uh, particularly in this recent season, that you've been going round and round in circles and you don't know where to go. And uh, I believe that God is saying to you that as you are a man who receives unusual signs, so you are about to receive an unusual sign of God's favor and call upon your life. <laughs> just, just as unusually as Balaam was spoken to by a donkey, so unusual will be God speaking to you in this season. I don't know if you got a donkey, but if you do... 
expect him to start talking the word of the Lord to you. And out of that, I see that uh, that, that God has called you uh, that in many ways you have seen yourself as an outsider. Um, But yet when God leads you to the place where you begin to speak over his people, that you will come and speak great blessing over God's people because you have known it. You have known it and you have known his mercy and grace and forgiveness. And there will be a grace to your words that others would find difficult to impart because you have known the grace of God upon your life. And uh, the Lord is saying, do not disregard the word when God sends it to you, no matter how unusual it might be, because he has not forsaken you. He has not left you. And he is lifting the pall of confusion off you today, that cloud that has uh, that has surrounded you and, and led to confusion and that, that sense of going in circles. God has every step that you have stepped in mind and he is stepping into your situation today to affirm to you I have called you, I have chosen you, you are not a mistake and your future is much greater than what you envisaged even when you have been prophesied over in the past and God says that past is that past it is gone, it is over and you are in a new season And then I saw one final thing, uh, no, two things. Uh, the sign when it, when it comes to you, the way that the Lord has released you, it will serve to confirm that your unique call has not been rescinded but increased. It has not been rescinded. It has been increased. And your ministry will be earthed and grounded. And what I saw there was like you were like a lightning rod and the lightnings of heaven were attracted to this lightning rod. But there was something about that lightning rod rod in the way that it was planted so firmly in foundation, earth and grounded, that it became unshakable and unmovable. Even as the manifestations of the Holy Spirit were poured through you out to others, you would not be shaken or moved as you have been in the past. And so I just want to thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what you have in store for John and Jen. I thank you, Father God, that, that Lord, that you equip them and bring them out of where they have been this last season. In fact, I declare it is now at an end. I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth that that season is now at an end. That's it, bro. Let out that sigh of relief. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. And Lord, no matter what comes against this word in the coming days, Lord, Lord, just keep releasing those lightnings of God upon them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
We're going to close the live stream in a moment. Uh, those of you on live stream, I want to speak into the difficulty of your season. I know that we have many people that join us from the United States of America. And I want to tell you the word of the Lord that God has not forsaken or forgotten the United States of America. Now you are a covenant nation and, and God's purpose is that you return to that place of intimate relationship with him, that you be a beacon of hope for the nations. I pray over you that that coronavirus that has destroyed so many lives around the world will not touch you in the name of Jesus. I pray over you that God brings you out of this season into a season of great abundant life because your life is not established by what you see around you but what you feel within you and what you know within you of God's presence and purpose for your lives. For those of you sitting at home here in Australia, I want to speak God's blessing over you that abundant life is yours and all he asks is that one little step of obedience into his purpose and God says he will do the rest. God says he will do the rest. For the, for the, the four or five people specifically that are watching right now and you are stuck in unemployment, God says, I have employment for you. Put first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. And for us here in church, I wonder if we can launch 2021 in our first church service of this year by inviting the presence of the Lord to come as never before. And if you'd like somebody to pray for you, just come out the front. We'll pray for you. We'll observe the social distancing as much as we can. Thank you for joining us on live stream. God bless you. And I hope to see you next Sunday when we uh, gather together again in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.